Our sermon today is going to be Exodus 8, verses 8 through 15. It's entitled, The Plague of Frogs, Part 2. Now, before I get into that, I want to read you uh, the 23rd Psalm. And I've done this once before. Um, I did it with the 133rd Psalm. But I'm going to go ahead and do it with the uh, 23rd Psalm today as well. Something so that you can appreciate it in its native language. Mismor Kaf Gimel. That means Psalm 23. Mismor le David. That's Psalm of David. Yehovah roi lo echsar. That's Yehovah, my shepherd, no want shall I do. All right. Binot deshe yarbitseni. Pastures in green, he makes me to lie down. Alme menuhot yinachaleni. Beside Waters the still, or waters of rest, he leads me. Nafshi yeshovev, my soul he restores. Yancheni ve tzedek le ma'an shemo. He leads me in the path of righteousness. To that, to the end, that of his name. Gamki elech beget samalvet. Yes, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, Lo irara ki ata imadi. No evil do I will fear for you with me. Let me turn that page. Shiftecha umish antecha hema yanachamuni. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Ta'aruch lefanai shulchan neged soradai. Prepare before my face a table in the presence of my enemies. Dishanta vashemen rosi kosi revaya. You anoint with oil my head. My cup runs over. Ach tova heset yerdefuni ho yeme hayai. Surely good and covenant loyalty shall follow me all the days of my life. Veshafti bevet Yehovah leorech yamim, and I will dwell in the house of Yehovah unto perpetuity of days. Isn't that wonderful? All right, here we go. Exodus 8, verses 8 through 15. This is the Plague of Frogs, part 2. And I'm glad we got some visitors here with some children today, because last week we had some scrunching and some squishing of frogs, and we'll have a little bit more of that this week. So... Starting in uh, verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants, and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So he said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Throughout the Bible, promises are made 
and we call them prophecies. The Lord says he will do something or that something unusual will come about, and sure enough, the Bible records those things when they actually happen. We call that fulfilled prophecy. The Bible is so full of fulfilled prophecy that it simply cannot be ignored. When God speaks of the future in certain times, or when he speaks of the future as already accomplished, it means that he must be in control of what will happen. It's not that he can merely see the logical outcome of a set of parameters, like a computer calculating what will occur based on known information. Rather, he knows the outcome because he is already there at the outcome. He is outside of time, and he is in control of time. Because of this, he knows the end from the beginning to the minutest detail. But of course, there are people who will argue that much of the Bible was written after the prophecies were fulfilled, not before. Thus, man has simply inserted God into his own manipulated writings. But for every such argument, God is always there to vindicate his word once again. The Dead Sea Scrolls took care of much of that speculation, at least concerning the coming of the Messiah. And sure enough, time has taken care of more. The writings of many of the Old Testament prophets have come true in our own lifetime with the return of Israel to the land of Israel and with the return of Jerusalem to Israel's control, exactly as the Bible said would occur. More prophecies are lining up before our eyes daily as well. The Bible says that Jerusalem will be divided east and west. And sure enough, when it happens, people will deny that the Bible says it or something. But it is an exciting age in which we live. Our text verse today comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. It's the 14th verse. It says, Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and performed it, says the Lord. The Lord gives us prophecy so that when his words come true, we have a sure foundation for our faith in him. Who cannot look at the hundreds and hundreds of prophecies of Christ which were fulfilled in him and not be amazed? The odds against all of them being fulfilled in one person who happened to be born in one place and all of those prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus are so immense that there is not enough space in the universe to hold every one of them if each were just a single copper penny. And as more prophecies come true concerning Israel, the ending of the church age and what that entails and the anticipated return of Christ for his church, we have all the more reason to be thankful for the age in which we live. Our hope is in his word and it's rewarded with strength and faith and with even greater hope. But there are those who see the word of the Lord performed and then they dismiss it for whatever crazy reason. Their hearts are hard, and they harden a little bit more each time that they reject the obvious. Once again, we will see that happen today in the life of Pharaoh. Let's not be like that guy. Instead, let's put our hope and our trust in God's superior word. It's alive, it's active, and it is sure. It is a source of hope. Pursuing it will lead certainly to great reward. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is, there is none like the Lord our God. This is verses 8 through 11. Verse 8, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said. Here in verse 8 will be the very first sign of Pharaoh's conceding to the fact that the plague of Egypt is both beyond his power and the power of one of his very gods that they worshipped in Egypt. They certainly petitioned their frog god. We found out last week that the name is Heket. They petitioned this frog god to relieve the burden of the plague. 
but their prayers, their offerings, and their sacrifices went unheeded. The very thing that had been denied to Jehovah, which was the request for the people to go and sacrifice to him in the wilderness, had certainly been offered to Heket, but Jehovah proved stronger than this false god. The lack of offerings to him provoked his anger, while their offerings to her went unattended. And because of this, Pharaoh now calls for Moses and Aaron to appear before him. Jehovah has now triumphed over the second false god of Egypt, first the Nile, and now Heket. Verse 8 continues, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. Not only had their petitions to Heket been unanswered, the crafts of the magicians had failed as well. They were able to make frogs appear, but they were impotent in making them disappear. And so now he's asking Moses and Aaron for relief. In the plague of blood, there was no such appeal because it probably didn't affect Pharaoh very much. He would have had abundant supplies of water and storage at his palace. He could have stayed upwind of the stink of the dead fish and the plague quickly subsided, it being only seven days in duration. But regardless of the length of this plague, he suffered equally with his own people. He would have been inundated with the frogs in his palace. The kneading troughs of his own bread would have been defiled, and he would have heard the constant croaking. Such an incessant noise would have driven him close to insanity. And what he says to Moses and Aaron are words which show that he had now learned something which he didn't know before. In Exodus chapter 5, we read this exchange. It said, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. At that time, and in one combined statement, he made three distinct and arrogant pro proclamations. One, who is the Lord? Two, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And three, who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? That is all changed as we see here, and as we will see in the rest of this verse. The change in his first proclamation is evident right now. At the meeting in chapter 5, he asked, who is Jehovah? After this, he then said, I do not know Jehovah. He now knows of him and is evidenced right here by his words. He said, entreat Jehovah. So he has met the Lord. He's been introduced to him and he has conceded that only he can help with the dire situation which he faces. And so his entreaty is specific. It is that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. His attitude is very similar to what Job said after he had been introduced to the magnificence of the Lord. We read this in Job chapter 42. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. The surpassing greatness of this second plague has brought Pharaoh to the point of desperation. But unlike Job, who saw the majesty and had reverence in his heart for the source of that majesty, Pharaoh has merely humbled himself out of a state of both incompetence and fear. He is incompetent to undo what has been done, and he is fearful that if it continued, he'd face utter ruin. As the Geneva Bible says about this, not love, but fear causes the infidels to seek God. Well, this is true, but a fear of God, unless it leads to a love of God, will once again be replaced with hardness of heart toward God. We will see this as the record of this second plague continues. In this, we can discern that preaching about the torments of hell, which happens in a lot of Baptist churches in America, can actually have the opposite effect for that which it is intended unless it is followed up with an understanding of the sovereignty of God as well as the grace and the mercy of God. 
These, when combined with a soft and a yielding heart, will bring about a true change in the man. Verse 8 continues, And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. The second of the two arrogant proclamations are dealt with right here. They were, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? He is now conceded to both of them as well. Unfortunately, the vacillating condition of Pharaoh's heart will only lead him to a further hardening and greater obstinacy in the time ahead. But this was not unknown to the Lord, and he will use it to multiply his signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Relief! This is what I beg of you. These frogs have me at my wit's end. I will do as you ask of me to do. Please remove them from me, my Hebrew friend. I have had no sleep. The croaking is driving me nuts. I cannot take a bath because the frogs jump in too. Not to be too graphic, but they now sicken my guts. What once was a god to me, I now know only belongs in a zoo. The Lord is greater than these horrifying frogs. He created them, and this I now avow. He created elephants and cats and dogs. I just missed this fact in the past somehow. Verse 9, And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor. His words to Pharaoh in Hebrew are very hard to translate. They are, Hit payer alai, glory over me. It's a confusing phrase to scholars, and the exact meaning is debated. It is never repeated in scripture, but a very near form of the same phrase is found in Judges 7, verse 2, which says this, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. So there's a similarity in the words that are used in the Hebrew. What it seems to mean here in Exodus, first and foremost, is I submit to you the honor of the decision. First, I have gloried over you through the Lord's display of power. Now I am offering you a chance to glory over me. I am returning the favor. If I disappoint, I will be subject to you, just as you have to this point been subject to the Lord. It could be viewed as someone speaking to another who supposedly feels superior in the sense that he is granted the decision which is to be made. But at the same time, there is the implication that by accepting the honor which is going to be bestowed, it very well may be that the Lord will further be vindicated in his actions. It is then a grant both of favor and yet a renewed challenge by the grantor of that favor. When Satan wanted to test Job, it was with the intent of proving that Job would yield to his attacks. The Lord granted him the opportunity, and Satan failed. In a greater picture, Satan came to test Jesus, with the intent of keeping for all eternity the earth that he possessed. The challenge was granted, and Satan failed. And Satan continues to attack mankind, even to this day, sifting them as wheat. But those who are in Christ cannot be removed from his grasp. In the end, the Lord is always vindicated in his actions, even when Satan is granted opportunity to determine an outcome in which he may prevail. He always, always ends as the loser. Verse 9 continues, of saying when I shall intercede. The word for when here is le mate. It's literally for when. It is a direct offer to Pharaoh concerning his preference of timing. Now, this might seem like a matter of linguistic hair splitting, but Pharaoh's answer in verse 10 will repeat the same preposition, le, or for. Moses' offer throws all of the honor of the the decision to be made on Pharaoh and all of the burden of the action on the Lord. 
The intent is to make a marked impression upon Pharaoh that nothing is impossible with God. It is a grant to undermine the Lord's capabilities or a challenge to allow them to be exalted. This is very similar to what happened to uh, King Hezekiah. He was the king of Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 20, Hezekiah was sick and he was facing death. But the Lord promised to heal him and grant him 15 more years of life. After that promise, we see the following exchange. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? Then Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go backward ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward ten degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. We're seeing the same type of grant and challenge now being given to Moses, by Moses, to Pharaoh. Thus the intent of this offer is that it is to be a sign to Pharaoh. If it is a sign, then he is to pay heed to the sign. Signs when given by the Lord are meant for this purpose. Verse 9 continues, For you, for your servants, and for your people, to destroy the frogs from your houses. This offer is all-inclusive. There will be complete relief from the plague, not only for Pharaoh, but for his servants and for his people. It is to be noted again that these categories are placed in contradistinction to the Lord and to the people of Israel. Pharaoh was considered to be a god to his people. He had servants and he had his people. Moses is showing that they were all equally affected because of the request of the Lord, which he had made, along with the plight of his servants and people, had been previously ignored by Pharaoh. Because of the promise by Pharaoh to the Lord, and on behalf of his servants and his people, the action would now be taken. Verse 9 continues, that they may remain in the river only. This is an added grace. The frogs of the river would continue to live and not be affected by the hand of the Lord. The horrendous croaking sounds of the plague would be replaced with the sweet croaking sounds of natural order. The cycle would return to normalcy, and river life would continue on with, hopefully, a renewed understanding of who controlled it. Verse 10, so he said, tomorrow. The word in Hebrew is le-machar. It is not tomorrow, but for tomorrow. The wording is very precise. Imagine the teacher saying, tomorrow there will be a test. Okay? Although similar, it doesn't carry the same weight as prepare yourselves for tomorrow when there will be a test. Okay? You understand you've got to do something today to get ready for tomorrow. In Numbers chapter 11, the exact same expression is used to pinpoint a specific time for an action to come about. There it says these words with the same word, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. Moses wasn't asking the people to consecrate themselves the next day, but to consecrate themselves for the next day. The specificity matters because any misunderstanding could then be misinterpreted by Pharaoh or be used as an excuse to say that the Lord did not act as stated. So the question is, with such a horrifying plague, why didn't he ask that it be ended on the same day rather than the next. The specificity of the wording answers the question. That's why it's such a, you know, a tragedy that these words aren't translated in the English from the Hebrew the way that they should be. 
if Pharaoh still thought that purely natural means were involved, right, he may have suspected that some had already started to die off. He's in his palace. Moses is coming in. Moses sees a bunch of dead frogs and says, we better get in there and tell him, you can now pick when the plague is going to end, right? If this is true and Moses knew it, then they might all die naturally before tomorrow. If so, then he would have an argument against Jehovah by claiming that the ending of the plague was actually natural and not divine. However, if it was divine, okay, he didn't want it carried on to the third day because it would be one more day of grief that he would have to endure. But we can still suppose, we can make the supposition that the frogs dying off natural uh, is a natural occurrence anyway. That's likely. There wasn't sufficient food for them and they were out of their natural habitat. The inevitable truth is that they would eventually die off. But the inescapable truth is that Moses granted Pharaoh the final decision for any day on which they were to die off. He could have said the third day, the fifth day, or the 20th day. Okay? It's an inescapable truth that we have to face. Therefore, even if natural, the miraculous is still tied up in the story. The foreknowledge of the Lord and his power over the entire situation is perfectly displayed here. Verse 10 goes on. And he said, let it be according to your word. In Hebrew, it says, Kid barecha lama'an, according to your word or to that intent. He has been granted the right to choose, and the choice of his words will be realized as spoken. And there's a reason for that, as verse 10 continues, that you may know that there is none like the Lord our God. Moses speaks for the Hebrew people, the people of Israel. And this God, who is the God of this people, has a name, Jehovah. The purpose of fulfilling Pharaoh's words exactly as they have been spoken is to exalt that name above all others. This is exactingly repeated in Isaiah chapter 45. There he challenges the people to consider his words. When he speaks to them in advance of something happening and then it happens, it is to prove that he alone is God and that there is none other. Here are his words which are spoken to a people who had forgotten this lesson. He says, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from the ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a savior. There is none besides me. The Lord is a jealous God and he, what he does is to secure his place of honor among his creatures. Verse 11, and the frog shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. The words here are almost a repeat of the words of verse 9, but there's an unusual difference. Unlike verse 9, the houses are mentioned before the servants and the people. Verse 9 concerned the relief of the people and then how that relief would come about. This verse shows the order of that relief, giving priority to Pharaoh first, and then the logical order of having them departing from the houses, and then from the servants, and then from the people. It makes sense when one looks at how the frogs would be disposed of after they died. Pharaoh would be the first, completely freed from the plague as his servants cleaned up his area. Then, of course, they'd do their areas and they clean their houses, and then finally the people would finish the work as the entire Nile region would be slowly cleansed of the carcasses. This is a very minute detail, but it is an exacting one. Verse 11 continues, they shall remain in the river only. Again, the grace of the frogs remaining in the river is mentioned, but there are a few things that this repetition could be hinting at. 
first. It was to show them that the Lord could again multiply the frogs if he so desired. You hear that croaking out there? I can do this again if you don't pay attention. Secondly, the friendly sound of their croaks from the Nile would be a call to remembrance of the plague that had transpired. Don't forget what you went through. Don't forget. And thirdly, that same croaking was a reminder that the Lord, not the frogs, was the true deity to be worshipped. I did this thing. Worship me. I am your creator. Tomorrow it will come about. Just you wait and you will see. The frogs will be gone, no doubt. As you have spoken, it shall surely be. They will be gone from your house. They will no longer afflict your servants too. They will be as scarce as the field mouse. Only in the river will they come into your view. The plague will end on the morrow, as surely as the word has been spoken. Soon from these frogs you will have no more sorrow. What has been said shall be to you a divine token. Our second thought. And the frogs died. Verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 begins with, Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. It's to be noted that before the action is taken in the rest of the verse, okay, we are told that Moses and Aaron first went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh has been told that his spoken word will come about, but it seems to be that this request was granted without any prior approval or command by the Lord. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. If so, Moses acted in very strong faith by speaking as he did in such a bold promise. And to back up his faith, he will now act out that faith in petition, as verse 12 continues. And Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. The word here for and cried out is veyitzak. It's an especially strong phrase which shows a truly heartfelt intent. When Cain killed his brother at the beginning of the Bible, the Lord, using the same word, said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. The same expression was used when Esau realized that Jacob had deceived his father and stolen his blessing. You remember he cried out in that mournful cry. And when there was the great famine of Egypt during the life of Joseph, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. These and other such examples show that more than just a casual petition, but a truly heartfelt cry of anguish is what came out of Moses. This cry was concerning the frogs. These words in Hebrew concerning the frogs are al-davar ha-sephardeim. Over the word of the frogs is a literal translation. The word of the Lord through Moses had brought the frogs on the land. And Pharaoh had spoken the word as to when the frogs would be gone. Now the word needed to be fulfilled. Moses' cry then is in earnest expectation that the word would be fulfilled, lest dishonor rather than honor would come about. Should the word fail, it would be a triumph for Pharaoh and a disgrace to the name of Jehovah and to his messenger Moses. Finally, this verse notes that the plague was the frogs which had been brought against Pharaoh. Verse 6 showed us that the frogs covered all of the land of Egypt, and yet it was said to only be against Pharaoh. This is another of the multitude of reminders that the Bible gives us concerning the leadership of a nation or a people. When a king is disobedient in the pages of the Bible, all of the people of the land suffer under him because of his actions. All of the people suffer because of the actions of whoever is in leadership. And this is an inescapable truth which should leave us in this nation horrified at the judgment we deserve and which surely must be coming. 
We have voluntarily elected a moral minuscule to govern our land, and he will lead us into uncharted waters of judgment and destruction through his vile actions. And how much worse will it be in the tribulation when the Antichrist himself rises to power? The people of the world will be led by the devil's representative, and they will receive the devil's punishment for their choice of leader. I pray, I honestly pray that you will escape this before it happens by calling on Jesus Christ to keep you from that terrible time, which I believe is probably not that far distant right now. Verse 13, so the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The Geneva Bible has a very interesting take on these words. They say in things of this life, God often hears the prayers of the just for the ungodly. Well, that's true. And God does hear the prayer of a righteous man on the behalf of an unrighteous. But more appropriate to this verse is that the Lord heard Moses and defended both the integrity of his own name and that of Moses before Pharaoh. This was less a petition of mercy on Pharaoh than it was for the glory of the Lord to be revealed and the honor of the Lord to be maintained. In both, the Lord met those tenets at the spoken word of Moses. Thus, his surpassing greatness is seen in the ending of this horrifying plague upon Pharaoh and upon Pharaoh's land. Verse 13 goes on, And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. The death of the frogs, it furnished a clear and sure proof that these were real frogs. Okay, Somebody could say, well, they were just demons or apparitions appearing as frogs to afflict the people. And people will try to make those arguments. But the death of the frogs shows that's not the case. It thus implicitly showed the Egyptians with all certainty that the Lord controlled nature. Okay? It secondly proved that the supposed divine nature of the frog was not divine at all. Rather, it was subject to the word in the direction of the Lord. The frog may or may not have continued to be revered in Egypt or elsewhere, but its effectiveness as a deity was once and forever proven to be a false hope. Thus, other than two references to this plague of frogs, which are found in the Psalms, speaking of this plague here, they will never be mentioned again anywhere in Scripture. The Lord has proven the frog a false god, and his judgment upon it is recorded for all succeeding generations to heed and to believe. Verse 14, they gathered them together in heaps. The Hebrew here, it's great. It's in the superlative form. It says, Ve'yitzberu otam chomarim chomarim, and piled them heaps, heaps. This was no run-of-the-mill infestation of frogs, but it was a truly immense quantity that is strikingly revealed in these Hebrew words. Considering the words here and the fact that surely many, many frogs had already perished through either being squished or scrunched or having been eaten by predators or maybe even by adventurous Egyptians, those left behind on the last day were certainly more numerous than words could adequately describe without exceptional verbiage being employed. The plague of frogs was a shockingly devastating plague upon both people and land. Verse 14 continues, and the land stank. Ellicott notes, very cute what he says, God who knew the heart of Pharaoh and its insincerity, or at any rate its changefulness, took the plague of frogs away in a manner which made its removal almost as bad as its continuance. In other words, it was a nice ending touch for Pharaoh to consider. His heart was hard and it was not directed to the things of God. The loathsome stench of death would remain in his nose and in his memory even after the frogs were wholly cleared away. 
But in the meantime, there was no place in all the land that he could go without being nauseatingly reminded of his recklessness before the Lord. As an interesting parallel to consider, the very last time that the word ba'ash, or stink, was used was in Exodus chapter 5, when the less than faithful Hebrew scribes, remember you had those Hebrews that sided with the Egyptians? They were less than faithful. They were scathingly rebuked by Pharaoh. And then they went off and they met Moses and Aaron and they said this to him. Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent, that word stink, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Those same faithless Hebrews could now look at the devastation of the Lord through this plague and they could know what it truly meant to cause a stink to rise up before Pharaoh. It was a stench which would cause the face to scrunch, the eyes to water, and the stomach to wrench. Such a stench has come into my nose, piles and piles, heaps and heaps. What we thought were gods were not, so it goes. All these dead frogs just give us the creeps. We can't wait till those Hebrews are gone. Won't that day be wonderfully nice? Pharaoh has promised to let them go. The only thing worse than this would be a plague of lice. No need to worry about that now. All they have to do is pack up and head on out. We will get along fine without them somehow. In fact, when they leave, we'll give a happy shout. Surely Pharaoh's mind is made up this time. Really no need to even make this verse rhyme. Our third thought, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, verse 15. Verse 15 begins with, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief. But, but, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief. In these words is a certain pun. The word for relief in Hebrew is ha-revacha, or literally a taking of a breath. We would say a breathing space. Once the frogs had disappeared through burning or burying or decay, the stink disappeared with them. There would once again be deep breaths of the pleasantries of the land, and there would be a slow departing from the memory concerning the horrific stench which once permeated even the closed doors of Pharaoh's inner chamber. And with such relief came something else, something not at all unexpected. Verse 15 continues, He hardened his heart and did not heed them. The plague of the frogs was bad, but to this point, nothing had occurred which would change the inner workings of the man called Pharaoh. He was predisposed towards arrogance and willingly turned away from the things of God. His already hardening heart was no less dull or insensitive now than it was before. Rather, it was becoming more so. With the removal of the frogs and the clearing of the air, he probably figured that the Lord had run his course in miracles and would afflict him no more. In order to test this theory, he refused to heed what he had experienced. Isaiah speaks of exactly such a person. He is one who is wicked and stubborn and refuses to see when grace has been bestowed. Here's what Isaiah says from chapter 26. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Sounds just like Pharaoh, doesn't it? Verse 15 finishes with these words, as the Lord had said. Ka'asher deber Yehovah, as spoke the Lord. These words are an exact repeat of Exodus 7, verse 13, after Pharaoh had rejected the miracle of the rod being changed into a serpent. There is a difference in the overall verse, though. In 7.13, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart was ascribed to the as an action of the heart itself. In this verse, it is ascribed to the action of Pharaoh against his own heart. He has willingly hardened his heart through stubborn disobedience. Once again, we see that the heart is hardened by the active will of the possessor of the heart. 
The Lord may have prompted Pharaoh to hardening, but the fault and the sentence for the action remains solely with Pharaoh. Paul shows us this to be a truth in Romans chapter 2, where he writes these words, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous God, the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Once again, we're given these stories about Pharaoh and his heart, and the term heart is being given again and again and again to show us that it is a human condition, that only we can actively turn our hearts off to the things of God and receive Jesus Christ, or we alone are to blame when we're cast out of God's presence for all eternity. This is what we're being told all through the Bible, but Pharaoh is being used as the premier example of this. God, knowing Pharaoh's already arrogant attitude, used it against him in order to demonstrate his surpassing greatness. There are yet eight more plagues to be seen. Each will build upon the next as the Lord prepares Israel for their great exodus from Egypt and off to his holy, amount, holy mountain. Let each of us surrender ourselves to the offered grace of God, which is poured out upon us. Pharaoh was given grace and he turned from it. Matthew Henry astutely notes the state of the heart which rejects such grace from the hand of the Lord. Here's what Matthew Henry says. Till the heart is renewed by the grace of God, the thoughts made by affliction do not abide. The convictions wear off and the promises that were given are forgotten. Think of the guy in the foxhole, right? Till the state of the air is changed, what thaws in the sun will freeze again in the shade. Though today we viewed the end of only the second plague, the book is already complete, and all ten plagues of Egypt are behind us in time. And they only picture the greater judgment of God upon sin and upon this sin-filled world. In the midst of this well-deserved hand of plague and misery, there is a fount of grace. It was opened on the tree of Calvary as the blood gushed from the dying man on that cross. Three days later, he was resurrected by the power of God for all eternity. This proves that God was pleased with his sinless life. It proves that he was worthy of the resurrection, and it proves that that precious fount is open for all people for all time. All who call on the Lord will be saved. All who do. Please grant me a moment to explain to you how you can receive this wondrous gift of eternal life. The Bible says that Jesus Christ took the sin that we bear on himself and he took the punishment that we deserve upon himself and he died in our place so that we do not have to die. We can be granted eternal life through Jesus Christ's shed blood. And to prove it, God brought him out of the grave saying, I am satisfied with the sacrifice of my son for the sins of all the people of the world. But there is a caveat. You must believe it in your heart that Jesus Christ died for you and you must receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, as the only one who can do this for you. If you try to mix in other gods or your own works into this, you're saying what God did on the cross of, of Calvary was not sufficient for me. It is either Jesus and nothing else or it is eternal separation from God and that is all that the Bible offers. There is no other way to be reconciled to this glorious creator. 
who has manifest himself through these plagues and through these judgments for us to see the condition of our own heart and to say, I don't want to be like that guy. I don't want to be cast to the bottom of the Red Sea because of continuous abdurant sin against the Lord. Instead, I want to soften my heart and I want to say, Christ, I want you. He's offered it. I receive it. Done. All right? Our closing verse today is from Isaiah chapter 46. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted who are far from righteousness. Next week is Exodus uh, 8, 16 through 19. It won't be so nice. It's the plague of lice. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. Even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part those waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Our poem today, based on the verses that we just looked at, short one, it's called When Frogs Die, They Stink. <laughs> then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and instead I will let the people go, so to you I say, that they may sacrifice to the Lord, this is my spoken word. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants too, and for your people for whom I shall then be praying, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses too, that they may remain in the river only. It's what the Lord will do. So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word, that you may know that there is no one like our God, the Lord. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, so you will see, and from your people too, they shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh by his spoken word. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses. Out of the courtyards and out of the fields too, they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank through and through. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he did not heed them for unbelief as the Lord had said right from the start. Surely we know that the judgment of God is, according to the truth, against those who practice such things in life as they trod, whether men of advanced age or those still in their youth. And so, and so let us not despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering also, which is meant to lead us to repentance and direct us on the path that we should go. Let us pursue Christ with every breath we take and be obedient to the heavenly call. For Christ and for Christ alone, all else forsake. For each of us, let him be our all in all. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for getting us through this uh, plague of frogs. And we're so glad that we personally have not been inundated with such a plague in our own lives. And uh, we thank you that we have been exempted from the great plagues which are coming upon the world in the tribulation period, which may not be that far off because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if there's a person here who has not called on Jesus in their heart and received him as their savior, I would ask that today would be the day that they would do so, so that they can be taken out of this world, this place of, of disaster upon disaster, which is coming and which is going to end in a very, very different world. I just, I, I fear for anybody that isn't willing to make that commitment to Christ. Lord, but you have offered this fount of grace. It is open and it is there for all who will but receive. We thank you for this. We thank you for your wonderful hand upon us in the week behind. 
We thank you for what you have in store for us in the week ahead. Be it good or be it bad, we will proclaim your name through it because you are worthy of that. Thank you. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. And we do so in the exalted name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, we get the instruction for the Lord's Supper directly out of the Bible. I add in just a couple blessings that the Lord would have said over it. But it comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It comes from the hand of Paul. He wrote these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And he would have given thanks over this bread. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, and he would have blessed us as well. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei pari hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment upon himself, not discerning the Lord's body. the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Body in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for those who have come here today. Thank you for this church that you've provided for us and the walls that we're within so that we can worship you and in a sense of comfort. And uh, I would pray that each person here would remember you in their hearts each moment that they're awake, everything that they do, that their life become just an active and ongoing prayer to you, an offering to you, and a sacrifice to you. Lord, help us to act in that manner so that you'll be glorified through our lives. And when we fail you, we know that there is grace. We know that you have forgiven us already because of the wonderful gift of your Son. Oh, God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. All glory to you because of who you are and what you've done for us. All praise in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.